Welcome to our 15th class on the Christian basics, or for my Lutheran teenagers, Confirmation. Every week, we aim to bring you biblical content that will help you in your new or emerging walk with Christ. We are continuing to look at the Kings with Chad Bird of 1517. Let's roll. All right, well, I'm joined again by Chad Bird of 1517, a wonderful Lutheran uh, ministry and source of, uh, of resources. So go to 1517.org, lots of podcasts to listen to. Um, really, we're hitting just the very, very high highlights of the Kings and the Bible. But if you want podcast material that goes deep into these stories, uh, you know, almost verse by verse, that would be a great place uh, to go. So uh, Chad is a, a Hebrew scholar an Old Testament scholar. And uh, so I'm very, very fortunate that he's joined me for this confirmation and uh, Christian basics video series to look at the Kings. So we, we've done one video, Chad, where we looked at the Kings, the, the anointing of the Kings and the beginning of, of Israel wanting a King and getting Kings. Um, and uh, we, we've made our way up to David and David, uh, his, his heart is often, maybe not always, but often in the right place. And so he says to, to Yahweh, to the, to the God of the universe, but certainly the God of the Israelites, I'm going to build a house for you. And remember, why was that needed? Well, remember, from the time of the Exodus all the way into this time, they had a tabernacle, which is sort of like a portable, large tent. And that is where they performed their religious ceremonies, you know, sacrifices. So you're talking about the, Levit the Levitical priests and all the kinds of sacrifices and burning grain on altars and killing bulls and shedding blood and... I mean, it was it was a whole thing. So, um, so it does make sense that uh, that at some point they needed a permanent structure. So, so God is like, well, sure, that sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, when uh, when David wants to do it, the prophet that he sp speaks to first says, "Yeah, go for it. That sounds great." And <laughs> then that night, God uh, informs the prophet that he was a little bit too gung ho about saying yes. So. <laughs> Prophet has come back to David and say, no, 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 that's not what God wants. Uh, and like you say, David's heart's in the right place. He, David's more like, hey, it's like it just kind of dawns on him. He's like, you know what? Yeah. I, I live in a house and God's living in a tent. This yeah. isn't right. Yeah. I want to build a house for him. And anyway, the prophet ends up saying, speaking these words of God to David that, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. You're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you, David. Now, what he means by house is he is going to establish the throne of David so that he's going to have a dynastic house, meaning that his son will reign and then his grandson and his great-grandson. So all of David's heirs will reign on, reign on his throne. That's part of what is promised to David. But there's another much more significant part of this because he speaks about raising up a son of David an offspring of David, whose kingdom God is going to establish. And this kingdom is not going to last for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, but it's going to be an everlasting kingdom. Now, this it's it's hard to overestimate how significant this is for the rest of the Old Testament. This is 2 Samuel 7, by the way. And for the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, you hear people talk about Jesus as the son of David. They are referring back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. They're basically saying, 
you are the son that God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7, whose kingdom will last forever. So son of David is basically the Old Testament equivalent of saying Christ or Messiah or anointed king who will reign forever. So that's why this particular chapter is so important, 2 Samuel 7, because now we have this promise to David that will be awaiting its fulfillment. So it's kind of like every time a king is born, you're like, okay, is that the son of David? I mean, is that going to be the one? Yeah. Okay, it's not him. What about the next guy? Is that going to be? Well, no, that's not him either. So you have all these kings. And then kind of in the broad sweep of biblical history, when you get from David to the last of the line of David, you have an exile in which Israel is sent into Babylon. And there's really no Davidic king after that. So the people are wondering, when is God going to fulfill this promise? Which, of course, we're getting too far afield now, but that that's what the New Testament is telling us. That's why Matthew, when he begins his gospel, he starts out with a genealogy in which he mentions David multiple times. He wants to make sure that his, his hearers, when they're reading Matthew 1, realize this guy, this Jesus of Nazareth, he is the son of David that was promised back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So anyway, that's why it's so important for us the Old Testament. Each of these kings is both pointing back to David as a descendant of David and pointing forward to the fulfillment that we're going to have in the Messianic, Messianic son of David. So anyway, that's, uh, that's 2 Samuel 7. That's, why, that's kind of uh, David's pivotal moment, you might say, uh-huh. in his reign when this promise is given to him. And then you have his son. You have, uh, you have Solomon. I've always liked the Hebrew name of Solomon. Boy. Solomon in Hebrew is Shlomo. I don't know why. I just always think that's <laughs> I didn't fun that. to say. So, yeah, yeah Shlomo. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's Solomon in Hebrew. Yeah. So we have Shlomo or Solomon, the son of David. And uh, you mentioned in the, in the last podcast, excuse me, the last video, that uh, David had this, you know, this terrible sin with, with Bathsheba. And it turns out that this is a great example of how God is able to bring forth good from evil. Because Solomon, who ends up succeeding David on the throne. Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. Not their first son, but their second son. So, I mean, that that just goes to show you that despite the terrible thing that David did and the evil, God was able to bring good out of this because his son with Bathsheba, Solomon, becomes the king, the king after him. Now, Solomon, what do we want to say about him? Uh, Solomon was a kind of a, a mess of contradictions. Because he was, he, was the, he was the epitome of wisdom in the Old Testament, we might say. Like if you ask, who's the wise man in the Old Testament? Well, any Israel that would have said, well, of course, Solomon. I mean, he, was re- he wasn't just renowned in Israel. He was renowned, we would say, worldwide mm-hmm. in that broad ancient Near Eastern world. People like the Queen of Sheba traveled, mm-hmm. no telling how far, how long it took to go to Jerusalem. because. Wow. The fame of Solomon had spread that far. Hmm. So people, you know, in these surrounding areas had even heard the the fame of Solomon's wisdom. And so, and like David, there's a historical literary overlap because Solomon wrote, you know, many of the, you know, the, the Proverbs, for example. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. exactly what else is attributed. In, I, I know sometimes we're not sure and we'll attribute something right. to somebody. I don't know if you wrote Lamentations, for example. Uh, well, traditionally, Solomon is, uh, is said to have authored uh, the book of Proverbs, most of it. I mean, he includes Proverbs from other people, uh-huh. but uh, he uttered thousands of Proverbs, and many of those are recorded in the book called Proverbs. And then the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, which is a 
a romantic uh, it, it, it's a set it's a romantic genre kind of book but it's mm-hmm. depicting the the love between god and, and his people his bride so proverbs song of solomon and then he's also traditionally said to have written ecclesiastes which is a closest thing we have in the old testament kind of a, a philosophical reflection upon the vanity the shortness the pa- the, the passingness we might say of earthly life and how it's much more important to cling to the word of God than yeah. the passing things of this life. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Should, he had the should, literary heritage too. Yeah. We should tell at least the maybe the most famous story of Solomon's uh, judicial wisdom, um, where you have two women uh, arguing <laughs> over whose child is whose. Tell that story real real quickly. It might be one. I mean, it, it it's in our everyday language, you know. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I had two women who lived together, and uh, they had each had a, a baby about the same time and then one night the 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 baby of the one woman died and this woman then switched the babies basically so she gave her dead baby to the other woman and then she took the living baby for herself and then of course they have a dispute whose is whose and so both women come to solomon and they both present their case one says this the living baby is mine the other one says no the living baby is mine and so solomon says to one of his servants draw your sword out cut the baby in half, give half to one woman, half to the other woman. And of course, he's just setting up a scenario where he knows wisely what will happen. Because what happens is the, tr- the true mother of the living child said, no, 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 don't do that. Just go ahead and let her have the living child. And when she said that, because she spoke out of compassion and love, maternal love, Solomon said, no, no, give the baby to her. That is its mother. So that was a renowned example of how Solomon was able to, I mean, he was a psychologist there too, right? I mean, he was wise. He understood kind of the way that people work. And so he knew what kind of scenario to create in order to demonstrate who the true mother really was. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Saul is also, or Solomon rather, is also famous for, for having a lot of wives and concubines. Yes. Um, maybe explain what a, concubine is a little bit because it's one of those weird words people yeah. may not hear much and and what's maybe the a, a good reason not to have especially as polyamory and things like that is more popular these days and soon mm, will probably sure. be, be pushed for legally um you know as we continue to uh, understand marriage people will actually look at uh, old testament characters like david and solomon and they'll say yeah. how can christians oppose you know polyamory or you know polygamy or something when it's in the old testament that's a maybe for another day, but uh, this seemed to be a problem that Solomon had with all of his wives and concubines. So why so many? Yeah, so uh, you're right. This this was a problem with Solomon and David. His father had the same issue as did almost all the other kings after them. So first of all, what is a concubine? A concubine is basically a co-wife in in the Old Testament. So you you would have your wives and then you have co-wives. And the basic purpose of having the co-wives, besides I guess sexual fulfillment for these kings would be to raise up all these offspring who would be the king's offspring. So the idea was, it was it was sort of a, in the ancient world, it was a symbol of power and wealth and prestige. So they would, uh, we, you know, I don't know if it's an acceptable term to talk about a trophy wife, but you will hear that expression sometimes. Well, for the kings, like having all these wives, having a huge harem was like a trophy, basically. It was them, it was an expression of their ego, we, we might say. Um, 
So David did that, Solomon did that, kings in general did that. And one of the purposes, of course, was to raise up all these offspring. But the problem with that is, well, there's several problems. First of all, this was never what God wanted. Uh, he gave Adam and Eve to one another, one husband, one wife. But the other problem was, just politically speaking, you got a king with all these heirs, these male heirs. Who's going to be the who's going to be the true heir? So what you see as sort of the the fruit of this foolishness, the fruit of this these uh, of this polygamy, is a lot of times when a king dies, there's a whole lot of other people that die as well because all these sons are fighting for the throne, and the brothers are murdering brothers because they're all trying to jockey in a position to be the one who becomes the the true heir. But another problem with specifically Solomon, is that he was marrying, creating political alliances by marrying the princess of this country and the princess of that country, and trying to, of course, create these peaceful treaties with these surrounding nations. Okay, we can understand that politically, maybe, but what happened is when he married these women and brought them to Jerusalem to be his wives, they brought their religions with them, and so they wanted to worship their own God. They didn't, they weren't, going to become a worshiper of Yahweh. They wanted to worship their own gods back in their, the ones they had yeah. back in their own, own country. So Solomon, this is what I meant by a mess of contradictions earlier. Solomon is all wise, but he made some very stupid, foolish decisions, yeah. Yeah. such as building temples for all of these other wives in Jerusalem and thus filling the holy city with unholy idolatry. Yeah. Well, when does the... One of the, the the next great, really great calamitous event. We we've got Babylonian destruction, Assyrian direct. I, I never honestly get that order straight. Like sort of who is who is first in destroying Israel? But really, you have the splitting of the two kingdoms, and kind of yeah. what's known as the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And the Southern Kingdom ends up with two tribes. I don't know where the Levites fall into that. By the way, I don't know if they're one of the two. But in, anyway, the Southern Kingdom has two tribes, and they have the temple. So um, they, they, it's Jerusalem is in the south, and the ten tribes in the north, um, they don't have the temple. I, I don't know if they shared access to that, or, or I can't remember, but I think they built yeah. you know, other worship areas kind yes. of in the north. Yes. And the north is then always looked down, and, and that's why, like in the New Testament, to jump ahead, when they talk about the Samaritans, those are the northerners. And I'm guessing this split, this division goes all the way back really to this division, when these two kingdoms, in essence, are divided. So you have northern kingdom, southern kingdom. What brings about that, that conflict, and, and what really were the results? Yeah, so really what precipitated it was what Solomon did. Solomon had some pretty massive building projects in his day. As we talked about earlier, uh, David wanted to build the temple, but he didn't. His son Solomon did. And he also built a, a number of other structures. Well, we know today, if there's a lot of governmental building and activity that all costs money right so how do you get money well you get money by taxation so solomon did the same things he heavily taxed the people so when solomon dies and he's succeeded by his son rehoboam the people come to rehoboam solomon's son and say hey we want you to lower our taxes give us some relief here and rehoboam basically says oh you think my dad taxed you well you just wait so he tries to be kind of a tough young guy young king show him you know he's got all the power well, the people instead rebel. They say, well, tell you what, you want to do your stuff? You can, but we're, we're going to go our own way. And that's when you have a split between the two kingdoms. So as okay. you said, there's, there's two tribes that stay in the south. That's the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. So they're mainly the tribe of Judah, but Benjamin's part of this too. Uh, then you have 
all the, the ten tribes who are part of the, the northern kingdom. So I have a split, and the first king of the south is Rehoboam, and then the first king of the north is a guy named Jeroboam. So kind of hard to keep those two straight, but south Rehoboam, north Jeroboam. And this split continues for the next couple hundred years until the northern kingdom is finally destroyed. Now, here's, here was a crucial mistake that the northern kingdom made right away. So Jeroboam, the first king of the north, the first of 19 kings, by the way, there's 19 kings in the, in the north. There's going to be 20 kings in the south mm. throughout these, these centuries of split. And but most Jeroboam, of them are, are, the Bible says most of them are evil kings, right? Now in the south, I believe yeah. there's a few good kings, but in the north, yeah. they're like all bad. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's like all, all the kings in the north get a big fat F. Okay. Like, <laughs> none, of, none of them are praised unconditionally for anything they do. There's just like one failure after another, every single one of the kings of the north. Now, in the south, you've got a couple of shining stars. You've got a guy named Hezekiah. You've got a guy named Josiah, who are faithful kings. But the rest of the kings in the south, like it'll, the Bible will say, well, he did, you know, these few good things, but he didn't, but he did a lot of bad things too. So it's kind of a mixed report with most of the kings in the south. But anyway, back to Jeroboam, what he did, he got to thinking, you know what, if, if my people keep going to the south, to Jerusalem, to the temple to worship, I might lose their political, their political fidelity. So here's what I want to do. I want to make sure they have a place to worship, but it's in the north. So what he did is he built two worship sites, one in the north in Dan, one in the south in Bethel. And he erected golden calves, which were like pedestals for a deity. Same thing that Israel, of course, did back at the foot of Mount Sinai. He built these golden calves, put them some in Bethel, some in Dan, and basically tried to kind of reinvent the religion of Israel. Hmm. He changed the priesthood. He changed the, the days of the annual festivals. Of course, he changed the worship location from Jerusalem to these places. They no longer had the temple. Now they have these golden calves. So it's a good case of what we talked about last time with this syncretism. Because mm. the, the calves were very much symbols connected with the religion of Baal, mm. which was the religion of the Canaanites. But he tried to kind of fuse that together with the worship of Yahweh. Well, it, it's like trying to put together fire and gasoline. It's not, it's not a safe combination to have. It's always going to result in explosions and burning and destruction. And that, sadly, is really the history of the northern kingdom. You've got these 19 kings beginning with Jeroboam. And then over time, really what happens is you have uh, just this gradual demise of the northern kingdom until finally God, after sending prophet after prophet after prophet to call them to repentance and, and then prophet after prophet after prophet, the Israelites rejecting their message, God finally says, okay, you're done. And so he sends the, the world power of the day, which was the kingdom of Assyria, into the northern kingdom. They wipe out the entire population, wipe out the, the, the military might of the northern kingdom. They wipe out the city of Samaria, the capital city, and then they take the remaining people into exile. So if you've ever heard of the 10 lost tribes of Israel, mm -hmm. that actually is the origin of this. In 722 oh, wow. BC is when they were shipped off to kind of just be spread out among the peoples of, of Assyria. Yeah. So, And, and as a, a small note, but people might wonder, why do we call people who are still the, the remnant of this 
of this tradition of the Old Testament, the Hebrew, I, I usually will say the word Hebrew, Hebrew persons, Hebrew people, um, Jews. Well, it, in the Southern Kingdom, you said that it was mostly the tribe of Judah that remained, and mm -hmm. so, and, and some of Benjamin. So that area just is called Judah. Uh, the Romans called it Judea. And so mm -hmm. they, the people are the Judeans. And so Jew becomes a shortened uh, word for that. Um, so that, that's why I don't like to use that word. Um, I guess it's an okay word to use, but really in the Old Testament, we're talking about the 12 tribes, and Judah is yes. just one of the 12 tribes, so it just always makes more sense to me to say Hebrew. Um, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's kind of how I, how I think of it. Um, and so one of the, one of the issues is, uh, and we're just about out of time, but like, for example, when the Assyrians come in, there's, you know, Cer certainly there to survive many intermarried right many of the the hebrews would have just said okay we'll we'll, we'll go along with you at this point you know you're you're going to win the you're going to win the battle um and so you end up with uh mixed um i, I don't you know i'm thinking about how to say this sort of mixed ethnicity mixed race maybe even uh, that's not the, i don't think that's a biblical concept so i he hesitate to even say it but you know you you have a, a sort of a compromised religiously thinking if nothing else people yes. and um so those who end up returning from the babylonian captivity because the babylon was a empire who had power before the assyrians and they take out the southern kingdom is that right i mean yeah nebuchadnezzar was babylonian and so he he's more focused on the south and jerusalem right right it would be subsequent to the assyrians so said the assyrians had take out the northern kingdom and then in 586 so a couple of centuries later the southern kingdom is destroyed by the Babylonians. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So Assyrians, gotcha. Babylonians, and then of course later we'll have Greece and, and Rome. But yeah, and Assyrians, Rome. Okay. northern kingdom, then Babylonians take out that southern kingdom. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. See, I I get lost in that. I'm I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm not so embarrassed to have experts, you know, help me with this sort of thing. Well, okay. it's confusing so. history, so <laughs> I don't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot going on for sure. Gotcha. Well, one of the I mean, one of the lessons, too, might be something like, you know, had these two kingdoms not fought against one another, they could have maybe held off invasions from Assyrians and, and later Babylonians. Yes. But they were so busy fighting one another that uh, that they had lost, the, I would say they lost the protection of God, of course. I mean, God is mm -hmm. a military provider and protector of, of the people of God. Um, but they, they certainly lost the ability, just the practical ability to, to wage war effectively. And so, and so that was part of their judgment. Um, you know, in the end, God, God calls us to complete, um, complete obedience, you know, complete faithfulness. And that stall, that call is still true for us today. Uh, for those of us who would be disciples of Christ, um, you know, Jesus makes it clear. It's, it's, if you want to be my, my disciple, then pick up your cross and follow me. And that's a sacrificial following of Christ. And so, you know, certainly we want to be on the lookout for syncretism too, right? You know, where yes, we're yes. not saying, oh, well, we're a Christian, but also we're totally pagan because these are the things that are really important to me, um, right, all right. these other things. So, yeah, absolutely. So that, and the siren calls of the siren calls of other religions today often don't look like religion to us. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, they look like putting money first or power first or sex first or whatever it is. But if you, you think know, of these saw, as, as yeah, religious gonna, things, then yeah, uh -huh. you can see that. Yeah. I just saw a headline on your blog. I didn't have a chance to read it because I was looking at your bio on your website. And the headline, in fact, maybe I can find it uh, real fast, but then again, maybe not. But I think you said something like, parents, we all choose our child's religion. Yes, yes, I don't know if, absolutely. I don't know. From the headline, I'm guessing what you're saying is that 
the idea that, well, I'll raise my kids such and such, and one day they'll be old enough to decide. It's like, well, you've chosen for them by then yes. already, by your lifestyle, by the way you, by the way you're a steward of your resources. Um, so I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like religion is I mean, inescapable, we, you know? It is, yes. I mean, everything is religious in one way or another uh, because we are religious creatures. We're always given to directing our hearts toward one God or the other. So parents, by the way they raise their children are directing the compass of their hearts towards certain ultimate goods. What is the good life? Well, every parent is going to explicitly and implicitly speak and model that for their children. Of course, children emulate their parents. So it's impossible for a parent not to choose the religion for their children because the very way of bringing them up is choosing that, that religion for them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Chad, we're out of time. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, yeah, thank you. It's I, I want to do more videos. I, I, you know, I, I think, for example, of the Book of Ruth, uh, we could do a video about that. There's, there's a lot there. I just very briefly hit on it in previous videos. Um, or, uh, hey, boy, there's so many books in the Old Testament we could do. We could do a summary of. So maybe we can come back and do that at a later time. But, but yeah, really appreciate yeah, your time. I, I love it. Fifteen seventeen. Org. I mean, not spelled out, just the numbers, 1517.org. Go there, folks, and a lot of resources for you. Definitely encourage and, and uh, you know, uh, encourage you to go, encourage you to go do that. So, Chad, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that look at the Kings with Chad Bird. Definitely check out 1517.org to uh, get a lot of great resources for more in-depth teaching at a very accessible uh, level. They got a great group of, of teachers there and uh, you'll find it really helpful. So thanks again to Chad for, for giving of his time for this project. Hope you learned a lot about the Kings. Next week, we're going to be looking at Daniel, who ended up in exile in Babylon. Uh, and then after that, we'll be looking at the return to Israel. But until next time, take care. <laughs>